This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And in today's episode, we're keeping it in Florida. We got Dolce Suarez Resnick with us, and she has her hands in all kinds of stuff. She is on the Agents Roundtable for Citizens in the state of Florida and has been since 2007, I think she told me. In addition, she is active in the LAIA, which is the Latin Association of Insurance Agents, I believe, and has been on the, the chair of the legislative, legislative Council, correct, advocating for the insurance industry. Correct. And then the last piece, yeah, 2003, is that right? It's 2003, correct. All right, we did. We were good listeners. In there the, we go. In the floor, we just pe- we peppered Dolce with questions right before we hit record. But, you know, probably most importantly is the fact she's also an active producer in both commercial and personal lines. And I asked her if she had a specialty, and she said, habitational, anything with an association, in Miami, Broward, and down in Miami, in Fort Lauderdale, in the Tri-County area. And people, if you think (laughs) that the insurance industry is a freak show in the state of Florida, that is the epicenter of the freak show. I mean, I don't know who you made mad or what kind of, you know, (laughs) prison sentence you're running to to have to be down there, but good grief. I mean, I, good for you. It was a short straw. (laughs) No kidding. So before we get cranked up into all the things that you're doing, why don't you take just a couple of minutes? You had mentioned 37 years in the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Did you start when you were like six or what? My goodness. (laughs) I mean, not quite, not quite. Um, Your child labor laws we need to be addressing or. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually I started when I was 19 years old before technology. I was going to college and the office was a block from the college. And they needed clerical help. And I used to type policies. I used to type up the policies, put them all together, mail them out to the customer, to the mortgagee, and of course the insurance carrier so that they knew they were on a risk. So yeah, that was my first job in insurance. And to tell you the truth, I, I think that you could say I was sort of an insurance nerd back then because I would actually read the forms. 
So I sort of kind of found it interesting. And I told my mom, you know, I hate to disappoint you, but I think I want to choose a a career in insurance and I want to study insurance. And my parents said, are you sure? And I went, yeah, because I originally wanted to be a doctor and that went out the window and I was sort of like trying to find my way. And just like most people, we get sucked into this industry and then we don't seem to make it out ever. So 37 years later, here I am. So that's what happened to me. The insurance vortex, it's real. I mean, it's real. Yes, it is. It's interesting too, because I don't know very many people, you're probably the closest other than somebody who was born into an agency that their parents owned and it was always expected they were going to go in, but not very many people just like take a job at that, that age, that young and decide, okay, this is it. I'm, I don't, I don't need to try anything else. I like where I'm at. I don't make a career out of it. So that's a long time. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it in a very, very positive way. You've seen a lot of change in 37 yes. years. My goodness. Like, yes, it, it, was, be- it was before Andrew. It was before oh, her. Wow. Andrew. wow. Well, and, and Andrew was, you know, beyond pivotal for the insurance industry because it changed it changed the building clo- codes in the face of Florida for the rest of time at that point because we didn't have nearly the standards that we have now. But, you know, what 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 have you learned over time? I mean, what what would you say are some of your best experiences and things that have sort of shaped who you've become as you've gone through a very long career in the insurance industry? I mean, 37 years in insurance is like, Probably like 150 <laughs> else. So when I first got into the insurance industry, as I told you, as, as, as a 19-year-old who had been between, had not yet found herself after realizing medicine was not going to be it, and the industry sucked me in, I realized at that point that we actually are helping people. And that idea of helping people protect their livelihoods, protect their homes, their cars... It was, for me, it was a calling. I can help people protect themselves in the event and help them rebuild in the event that something bad happens, right? And nothing was more of a, how do you say, an experience to really show that than Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Mm. That was seven years after I was uh, in the insurance industry. And it was before the technology that we had because we didn't have any back then. You took a claims on a property loss notice. And because this is a cat situation, we didn't have electricity. You had to put them in, in, in envelopes for the carriers to come to your office to pick them up. That was wow. the quickest way to get those property loss notices to the carriers. So they would actually send their company reps to your offices every day just to pick up those envelopes so they could get them into their system so that they knew that they had a claim. Talk about the lack of technology. Only those large carriers that had 800 numbers that were taking those calls directly, you know, were getting that onto their systems right away. But when you had a a population that speaks Spanish, that doesn't really trust sometimes, they're going to call you. And unfortunately, our office had no power. Our phone lines, which were sort of computerized, were down. We had to string princess phones into the telephone closet in the office to get three lines working. And we were calling customers that were in that area. So that whole experience 
of being there for the client, being doing storm duty, waiting for a week for the power to come back on, that we were actually were getting phone calls now from, from the people that were getting some power back on and they could make phone calls. Helping them rebuild their lives really solidified my position in this industry moving forward. And I knew that I would study insurance, teach insurance, and get involved. And I think that what changes constantly, and I told my students this, there's one thing that I can tell you that is for sure. This industry is constantly changing. Just when you think you figured it out, something else happens. And if you're in Florida, that's every couple of years. Jeez. <laughs> so as you know, we went from being a thriving market in 1992 to becoming a state that had a residual homeowners market. So the Florida Residential Property Insurance Corporation had to be formed because so many carriers, nine to be exact, went insolvent and there wasn't a marketplace. So we had to learn to use a residual marketplace. We had to learn to use excess surplus lines more. And it was a complete learning experience after Hurricane Andrew. But it was satisfying because as our customers got their claims taken care of, you saw the rebuilding efforts underway. And it showed you that we did, we kept our promise. That piece of paper that has a promise on it, it did its job. Fast forward 30 years, it's a different world. And it changed during the 2004-2005 hurricane seasons mm -hmm. after, Citizens, after Citizens was created. Um, that they took over the, the, that residual market, the Florida Property and Casualty Insurance uh, uh, Program. Um, and this is a quasi-governmental entity and things changed dramatically. And they went into business in 2002. And in 2004, 2005, you had eight storms crisscrossing the state of Florida. And now it got real. Mm -hmm. It was a completely different experience than with Hurricane Andrew because of the types of policies and then the culture, the insurance dependency culture, the fraud infiltration into our culture down here. And that changed the insurance industry forever in our state completely. So it was two huge events in that small period of time between 1995 when I started and 2005. It was the first 20 years of my career almost, right? That was 20 years. <laughs> and I got in, yeah, I got in in 05. So it was post Andrew, post all the storms that came through literally like a year or two before I got into the industry. We, we joke about it all the time because a carrier will come in and they'll say, hey, I just want to let you know we're tightening up. We don't really have property capacity. And I just laugh. I've had property capacity for like 18 months out of 20 years. Doing <laughs> yes. That. You know, it, and it's limited at that what you're able to write. I'm interested in your thoughts. I mean, you've got a really str ridiculously strong resume. How would you compare what we're dealing with post Ian right now? Versus what it was like coming through those two major events back from 95 to, or, you know, from when Andrew hit to, to 90 or 2005. It's a completely different environment. Completely. First of all, the attitudes are adversarial. So the customer already thinks that, oh, they're not going to pay me. I need an attorney or I need a public adjuster. Yeah. Or before that was not their thought. Their thought was pick up the phone, call your agent, right? And they're going to help me call my insurance company. They're going to help me. 
right now the attitudes are different. The world has changed. The insurance world has changed. Policies have more restrictions nowadays than they did before. But the one big thing that we can, as, as Floridians, we can be proud of, unfortunately, it's due to too much practice, is that we know how to handle storms, number one. Number two, because of Andrew, the building code, as you mentioned, is the strongest building code anywhere in the United States. And we have proven time and time again that if a house is built according to that building code anywhere in the state of Florida, along the coastline, inland, it doesn't really matter. It's going to hold up. It's going to have damage, absolutely, but it's not going to be destroyed. And that's one of the very important lessons that we have learned. We know that reinsurers, which is our biggest problem right now, is the reinsurance and the capacity to write insurance because reinsurance is so expensive. We know that it has been shown time and time and again, they can rate for windstorm. They can handle hurricanes. What they cannot handle is fraud. And fraud has been that factor that people do not want to recognize truly exists. And I'm, unfortunately, it started in South Florida and it room throughout the state of Florida. It's not just a South Florida issue, a Southeast Florida issue anymore. It's all over the state of Florida with up it's and down here. the I-4 corridor everywhere. Hill well, the thing terrible. is, yeah, and part of the reason why I think really is the fact that social media exists. That is really, it's like pouring gas on an already raging fire. It's not word of mouth. You know, you got to remember to tell your friend next time you're talking to him on the phone or see him at the Little League Park. These roofing companies, for example, and I don't want to put you in a bad position because you've got some some good, responsible jobs. I can say whatever I want. So let me just go ahead and throw the disclaimer that anything that comes out of my mouth is no reflection on Dolce whatsoever. It's not her opinion. It's not her her comments. But I'm going to say whatever I want. And, you know, I'm going to call it what it is. These roofing companies are going into Facebook groups and everywhere else, and they're canvassing them not to mention just the door-to-door activity telling people they get a free roof in the event, you know, because for all the reasons I'm not going to, I'm not even going to get into what they, what, what the, the, the mechanism is. It's just not right. Right. They're coming in, they're lying about weather They're I've never understood why if you have a 20 year old roof on your house, you deserve replacement cost. I just, I've never understood that. And, you know, I understand that I'm in the insurance industry. And if I wasn't, I might not understand it at the same level. But when I explain to my clients why rates are going up, I take the time to talk to them about reinsurance. You and I know what reinsurance does and the effect, but the average homeowner has no clue what reinsurance even is, let alone that's one of the reasons why their rates are going up, right? The other thing we do is we talk to we take the time to explain ordinance and law. That's another area agents agents typically skip over. Yet it's in like a size fifty six bold faced underlined font on the front page of every policy that comes out. How important does the insurance company think it is? People know about it. Yet we don't take the time to explain it many times because we think continuing education is as simple as going on the internet, pencil whipping a class to pass the test so we get our hours, and then moving on. We're not truly investing in making ourselves better and understanding our jobs to be the best advocate we can for our clients. And then the the third piece of that, aside from you know everything else or what I explain is that 
if you were driving a vehicle, let's say you're driving a 15-year-old car that you had bought brand new, and that car is now 15 years old. It has 145,000 miles on it. It's been in the shop and been repaired. You put it, you've patched it together as best you can. And all of a sudden you go out and you get into an accident and that car is totaled. Are they going to give you a brand new car for that car? No, they're going to give you whatever the replacement cost less depreciation is, is defined by actual cash value. So I don't understand why we don't just make that standard, right? Or at least say, if you have a roof that's five years or newer, we're going to give you replacement cost, but anything over that, let's make it actual cash value because then it that balances everything out. But you and I both know the problem is we have to take the time to explain that to our constituency, the people who buy policies from us, because you can't just make a wholesale change and give them a policy because God knows it's not a matter of if, but when we have another storm, they're going to be the one left holding the bag with an ACV 17-year-old roof and not understand why they're getting more than $1,500 for it or something well, crazy. The only problem I have with ACV roof is that you can't group all the roof types together because uh, shingle roofs, and we have a list from True. the uh, Florida Architects Association that has a useful life by roof type, and not all roofs hold up the same. Another thing is, people think that their insurance policies are maintenance policies. Since when, and the, and the example you used about a car, when your brakes go, you don't ask your auto insurer to pay for your brakes or to change your tires or to you know do a whole uh, tune-up or whatever. No, you you take care of it. You maintain your car. You take it in for service. Well, people have to do the exact same same thing for their homes. Check your your lines. You know all the water supply lines. You know the the hose that goes to the AC, your dishwasher, your washing machine. You know water heater. Check these things out. Check under your sinks. If you see that there's a leak, do something about it. Fix it. Right. I, uh, it's it's beyond me how people think. Well, I have insurance. They're going to fix it. They're going to provide it for me. And that's not how it works. You need to maintain your roof. I have a 21-year-old a tile roof, but I have a roofer check it every three years and make repairs if needed. And that's because I'm an insurance agent and I know you should do maintenance to your roof. And I also live in a homeowners association that has the, the patrols going around saying, oh, your roof is a little dirty. You have to have it, you know, pressure washed. One of the worst things that you could do to a roof, the last thing you need every two years is having somebody with machinery walking on your roof. Because what's going to happen? They're going to crack the tiles. And eventually that weakens the roof. And then, then the storm comes and starts to make those pieces of tile fly off because they're already broken. So if people don't take care of their home and properly maintain it, it's going to deteriorate. And insurance doesn't cover for that. And how many agents don't have that conversation with their clients? Right. Good point. Yeah, it's actually, I, I explain it to people all the time. Your, your insurance policy is not a savings account, you know, exactly. I mean, and, but I think that we've been jaded to think that way. And, and again, it leads into another issue that's really impacting the rates here in Florida tremendously. And that's the involvement of attorneys in the process, because if you listen to the messaging and the marketing, look, I've got good friends that are attorneys. There are good attorneys there are bad attorneys, just like there are good insurance agents and bad insurance agents. Absolutely. So this is certainly not a blanket statement in any way, shape or form. But if I'm the average Joe Q public that's sitting at home watching TV, the messaging I'm getting on TV is if you're not happy with what your insurance company tells you, you agreed to and are contractually bound to call us, we'll figure out a way to get you out of it, right? Yeah. We'll figure out a way to get your claim paid. Don't worry. We, we you know, we can find that obscure coverage language or 
you know, we'll sue everybody under the sun until we can find somebody other than you to put the blame on. And the the thing is, I think it, it was something ridiculous, like 76 percent mm-hmm. of all claims dollars in the state of Florida went to attorneys, not the not the people. What? Who actually yes. Had Seventy six. Yeah. So think about it. Think about it right, right now in, in real life terms. OK. One thing that, David, you mentioned the the advertising. It, the storm hasn't hit yet. And what do you see on television? What do you see on social media? Don't call the insurance company. Call me. I'm the insur- I am the lawyer that's going to protect you, right? I I want to uh, I want to sue your insurance company dot com, right? I'm that attorney that's going to help you out instead of the customers calling. So here's what happens. You're absolutely right. All this litigation. When you think about that, eight percent of the claims on a national level come from the state of Florida, yet 76% of all litigation in the United States is from the state of Florida. We have a problem. We have a huge problem. So we're very thankful to the Florida legislature for having had the bravery, let's call it that. Let's, they were brave enough to decide no more assignment of benefits, no more one-way attorney's fees, and no more multipliers in property claims for personal lines and commercial lines. That was a very bold move and a very necessary move, but it was a little bit too late in the state of Florida. We have been going to the Florida legislature for the last 10 years and telling them, you need to do something. We're going into a crisis. You need to do something. We're in a crisis. And they finally did something when we were no longer in a crisis the industry had collapsed in the state of Florida. We waited for the collapse. And now it's going to take three years to get to the point where we can see an impact of the piece of legislation that have been passed. But it's like having a three-legged table. They passed three very valuable pieces of legislation that would help during special session. But there's one piece of that puzzle that you mentioned, and that's the solicitation. There's no solicitation standards. I can send you a video of me shooing away roofers from my private. I live in a private community. You can't get in unless you're here to do a job for someone else. But they sent teams of people to canvas the area. And they came knocking on my door and I was homesick. And I asked for a brochure or a card. They didn't have one. And then all of a sudden, a light bulb went up and I says, turn on your phone. Start videotaping them. And I did. And I told them, you're in a private community. Stop canvassing. I am going to call DPBR on you. Oh, well, we're here to take care of your customer. That's a lie because the customer next, the, my neighbor next door didn't call them. They came from across the street. They're doing a house across the street and they started knocking on everybody's doors. I videotaped them, took everything. And I said, I want you to call your guys and make them stand next to you. Or I will make sure that citizens gets a copy of this video and that I call DPBR. And I call the association and let them know that this company in particular is in here soliciting. And the guy called the people back and I took pictures of everything, but I still said to the citizens, because this is what we have got to stop. We have got to stop that kind of practice. Agreed. And, you know, let's talk about citizens for a couple of minutes, because, I mean, that's going to cause its own problems if we're not careful, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we we do predominantly, I know you and I just met 
really like right before we started recording this. So I'll, I'll share with you, you know, our agency's probably 99% commercial specific to middle market, heavy on casualty because of the property issues in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I can, I can do very well dealing with workers comp issues and other things without having to worry about going into excess surplus lines and all the agency bill issues and whatever we may at some point develop a property practice, but based on how we prospect build our pipeline and everything, it's, it's always treated me very well for the 20 years that I've been doing this, but we do have some personal lines and we open just in time for all of this freak show to start. And I decided we're not gonna, we're not gonna do anything to add any more homeowners. We can still handle auto auto umbrella flood, things like that, but I just don't have the markets and you can't get them but we still get a lot of inbound leads. We still have a lot of phone calls, things that come in over email, people who, who want to uh, have us price it. And so when right, you know, before I put the moratorium on, we're not going to write any more of this. We would go into our radar and we would put quotes together and inevitably we would call the, the uh, prospect back to talk to them and they would freak out. They would tell us how, you know, we must be criminals because our premiums are so much higher. Why they have a quote for, from citizens that says they can get, I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. <laughs> How do you even have that if I'm able to go get you quotes in an admitted market right now? Like, why is citizens an option? This is supposed to be the market of last resort, yet I'm finding agencies that have no other carrier contracts but citizens that are basically going and placing bis- you know, account after account after account. And the problem with that is there's no geographic spread of risk to that. You know, citizens is set up to ensure Florida, at least if you're dealing with a national carrier or even a regional that canvasses the entire southeastern portion of the U.S., you're not going to get hammered by the same natural disaster. But a, a company that's only in the state of Florida, that's why a lot of them pulled out is because they got hammered. And, and some of those companies were diversified in other states and they couldn't yes. make it. How can we let? How can we let business continue to get poured into citizens? through agencies that have other outlets, but they're more concerned about selling a policy for their agency instead of giving the correct advice and ensuring their prospects in in a market that they have access to that would quote. So um, in our agency, we it's not that we refuse to write citizens. We only write citizens if there's nowhere else for our client to go. Whether it's commercial lines, which right now the condo market, the condo association market, the property market has pretty much dried up and homeowners in Southeast Florida has pretty much closed down. I mean, it doesn't matter that I represent 20 homeowners carriers. I do. They're closed in certain zip codes, in certain counties, or if your roof is more than 10 years old or 15 years old. It, there's a there's you have to qualify. It's like all the stars have to line up just right and you might qualify for coverage. And sometimes, believe it or not, here in Southeast Florida, those carriers are slightly lower than citizens. So for the few that qualify, they don't go into citizens. The few that it's maybe a hundred dollars, citizens is a hundred dollars less. We explain to remember there's no bells and whistles, there's no three hundred thousand dollars liability. You really need to go with this company. We can get these care and these com- um, customers to think about the alternative and pay two hundred dollars more and stay with a regular insurance company. We then have another segment of our customers that were with XYZ carrier that went under, an XYZ carrier that then went under, 
And then they go and then they say, you know what, just leave me here. Don't take me out because I'm sick and tired of getting canceled and mm -hmm. waiting for my money from FIGA. I have a person who called me last week saying, where's my refund from FIGA? And I said to her, your refund should have been in your hands by September. We will, you will have to call to find out where your refund is because her carrier went insolvent in May. And they were saying that you would get your refund between 60 to 90 days. So, and then some people that went insolvent because they were with um, Southern Fidelity went with another carrier and then that carrier went under. So it's like they have this fatigue, especially down here in Southeast Florida, and they have no confidence in these uh, Florida only carriers and they just want to stay put. Even if I show them a price that's a little bit lower, I say, and they, this is a question, are they going to be around? Do you trust them? I've, I have I have a frontline insurance company at my house and I was able to get a quote for frontline for one of the new customers that called. And they said, I have been in a situation where I've been canceled twice because companies have gone insolvent. Is this company going to hang around? I go, they've been around since 2003. I have them on my home. I have them on my parents' home. I trust that they will be around. Do I trust that just like every other carrier that has suffered from humongous losses because of fraud and because of the storms, can they have a problem? Absolutely. There is no guarantee, right? But I feel good with this company. And sometimes that helps and sometimes it doesn't. They don't want to leave citizens or they want citizens. If I have a claim, they're going to pay me. They're not going to go under. And I explained to them, there are assessments because people forget about that. There are assessments and you could end up paying X amount of dollars more up to 45% on an assessment. Now that assessment just went down, by the way, it was just passed and that assessment went down, but until it kicks in on April 1st, if citizens would have had an assessment, these people could see up to a 45% assessment just because they're a citizen's policyholder. You explain that to them and they're like, okay, but that's not going to happen. And they think that it's not going to happen because they think the Florida legislature is going to do something to prevent it from happening. It's not. It happened after the 2004 and 2005 hurricane season. And we paid assessments on citizens' policies and on the rest of the policies for five years. But they don't remember that. You know, it's too far from those, day, those years. It's a big problem. We have a tremendous problem here. And when you turn around and you say, in the last 24 months, 10 carriers have gone insolvent in the state of Florida, how do you win back the consumer's confidence on the companies that are still willing to write? Yeah, I think the other thing is, you know, we talk so much about trying to sell value and, and not just selling on price and everything else, but these increases are more than a lot of people have the ability to, to tolerate. They just don't have yeah. the financial means. And, you know, I remember a specific conversation from a couple of weeks ago where we had a guy that was with heritage and his premium was 1200 bucks, which I didn't even know there were houses in Florida that had $1,200 premiums, but it was 1200 bucks and it was going up to 1800. And he was calling to make sure we had shopped it everywhere. And I'm like, dude, just sign your freaking renewal <laughs> yeah. as fast no as kidding. you can before, hey. They, hey. <laughs> before they change their mind. And he said, well, I've got a quote from citizens for 1500. And I said, but you don't have nearly the coverage with citizens that you have with heritage yeah. and the 
full blown pillar endorsement and everything. And I said, you know, you really need to look at all of the ins and the outs of what you've got. He said, I just can't afford the difference in premium. I said, I understand. But if you can't afford the difference in premium, how in the world are you going to afford an uncovered claim or right. a claim that's sublimited that you weren't expecting to happen? You know, you at least have a fighting chance to figure out a way to come up with an extra few bucks. And I mean, I look, I could have been really sarcastic and said, stop smoking and quit buying two packs a day. And you'd easily be yeah. able to afford your homeowner's insurance. But you know, yeah. it was, it's just it, but those are the conversations that are happening over and over again. And the premiums getting to the point where if people can't afford it, they are just going to go to whatever the bare bones policy is. And all I can say is agents, you better be explaining every single thing that's missing when you're doing that, because those people's claims will be covered if you didn't. It's just going to be your ENO as opposed to their policies. And absolutely, it's just all of this is putting every every single insurance agent in an ENO exposure. Everything. If you think about it, you said eighteen hundred dollars. Eighteen hundred dollars in Southeast Florida is a condo an HO six. <laughs> okay, that's an HO six with fifty thousand coverage A, fifty thousand coverage C. 300,000 liability, maybe half a million dollars liability with some bells and whistles is $1,800. Okay, now your average $280,000 house built in 1965 that had their roof replaced maybe 12 years ago. It's a tile roof 12 years ago, or maybe they went for metal. Okay, they have opening protection and $280,000 with a $2,500 deductible. Their average premium is almost $6,000 a year. So when Jeez. you tell me you had a $1,200 policy and it went to $1,800, I say, please pay that premium right away and stay with your standard carrier because that's not happening in the coastal areas of Florida. My daughter who bought, became a homeowner last year in, the, in Davenport, so let's call it Central Florida, right off I-4. We call it the I-4 corridor. And her premium went from $1,100 to $1,400. She goes, mommy, it went up $300. I said, yeah, that's okay. Pay the, yeah, pay. Take it's it and run. A premium because mine went up $1,800. I am now just under $6,000 for mine. So, you know, it's it's things like this. That it, it's not even. If you look at the state of Florida, state of Florida is five very distinct different territories. And what you pay in Southeast Florida is different than Southwest Florida, than Central Florida, Northeast and Northwest Florida. It's very different. The construction's different in some cases as well. There's more frame up there. The people from Michael, my heart goes out to them. Look how many years it's been, and they're still trying to rebuild. I have friends in the industry that lost their homes and lost their agencies, and they're just now getting their final COs to move into their back into their offices and into, into their homes. And we're, we're having to deal with the aftermath now with Ian and, and Nicole. It's a very sad situation to be in, in in the state of Florida. But the carriers have said, I just came back for the Florida Insurance Summit last week, and it's the reinsurers and the company presidents, CFOs, product development people, and their claims VPs. And agents are not don't go to this. They're only invited if you sit on a legislative committee. And when you hear the reinsurers talk about Florida, they're sort of optimistic with the changes that have happened, but they will tell you flat out, Florida's problem is litigation and fraud. Get rid of those two things 
and you will see a difference in premiums in about three years. And they say it to you point blank. That's the problem in Florida. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about it, with the ridiculous litigation and fraud that we have, it's inflating the cost of these claims to a level like we had an absolute cataclysmic storm that wiped out the entire state, basically, is mm -hmm. is what it's done. You know, it, it, to your point, if we didn't have to deal with that portion of it, yeah, they would be able to use actuarial data to figure out the appropriate place to set rates you know, the coverages to give sublimit and all of that. But I mean, we would be back to a normal place. And I mean, it's, I don't think that it's something that's going to happen overnight. It certainly didn't begin overnight, yeah. but it was allowed to grow to a point it never should have been allowed to get to. So we're going to have to all work really hard to, to just squash it because that's the only way we have any chance of surviving in the, in the personal lines arena, specifically homeowners in, yeah. in the state. Let me ask you this. I mean, 37 years in the industry, like we said, I mean, that's a, a insane tenure to be just day in, day out. And there is zero doubt in my mind that you are a highly driven individual and you could probably go for another 37 years and do just fine, right? <laughs> but here's here's I'm figure, figure down the 11 years to retirement. <laughs> figuratively speaking, figuratively speaking, but you know, if you've been in the industry that long, one of the things that we talk about over and over again is the fact that the insurance industry is male, pale, and stale. We lack diversity, both from a, a, an inclusion standpoint with females as well as minorities. And one of the things that I've always thought was, why don't these minorities and the females put together groups or organizations to help push and further their cause so that there, there's awareness, right? And here's what I mean by that. I think that the overwhelming majority of people that look like me, because I look like the standard demographic, that's the problem with the industry, right? I think that if I walked into LAIA, unless I'd been laying out and my tan was right and my, my, uh, accent was a hundred percent on point for the day that it's going to be pretty obvious that I don't, I'm not Latin and people are probably going to wonder why I'm there. And I would probably feel pretty uncomfortable for it, but that's the perception is that I am the same. I think the same way is the demographic that I describe, right? I don't obviously, or we wouldn't even be having this conversation, but I think that awareness is so crucial because I think that this has been just rampant and going on for so long that you just become immune to it. If it's not affecting you, it's not a problem for you. And I, and I know that's, that sounds way worse than what it really, you know, what it is because none of us are actually turning a blind eye thinking that we are. But, you know, again, when we had Meg McKean on the podcast, she used some very interesting examples that really, challenged my thought process about how this stuff continues to exist. And so I'm interested from your perspective, you've seen a lot in your time. You've probably worked with a lot of different people, both in your agency and in a lot of the other things you're doing. You know, do you feel like you've been, I don't want to say held back, but do you feel like it's been more difficult for you to achieve things that you want to achieve because of your heritage or because you were born a woman? I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts around that. Absolutely. 37 years ago, when you started as a, as a woman in this industry, you were tagged to be 
a an agency underwriter or what they call a CSR today, mm -hmm. or a clerical assistant, or even an assistant underwriter, or the receptionist, the person that does certificates, the person in accounting. You were not seen as an agency owner or as or as a producer. Okay. And it took, I would say, determination and education. Okay. It took determination and education because by the time I was 23 years old, I was the personal lines manager. Okay. Nice. At an agency that I was at and then moved on. And at the next agency, and I will tell you that in my entire life, the only reason that I changed agencies at that age is because my boss passed away and mm. they sold, they sold the business and it went far north from where I lived. So I didn't go with the agency. I chose to change agencies. The agency that I went to, my the agency that I was there the longest was 17 years. And there it was an agency that was owned by an American and a Cuban. And there was, there was some diversity there. I would say 50% of the staff was Hispanic. About um, the other 50 was, was American. Um, we grew. And, but again, the owners and the producers were male. The females were all the staff members. So it was, it was difficult. I decided at age 29 that I wanted to finally start a family. And I left my position as personal lines manager and became a producer. And that gave me the time that I needed because if you don't produce, you don't get paid because you get your own commission. Right. Mm -hmm. But into that moment, I studied, I got my license. I took institute courses. I had to, I joined the national association of insurance women. And you had a network of ladies throughout the United States that would help you and here in Florida as well. So the women learned during the second world war here in America, they learned to create a network of insurance lady professionals to help each other out. And that's how I got started. I had some very good mentors that helped me, but it was a challenge. And then when I left that agency, my daughter was already five years old and I went to a different agency. I looked around the room. There were 104 people in that office, 30 wow. producers. There were five women producers. Everybody else was male. Hmm. Some of them were Hispanic and some of them were American, right? But you had five female producers. And within two years, we were down to only four female producers. And we were purchased by a large national firm who basically one day came in, and it's the reason why I left that firm after five years, they came and said, look around the room. A year from now, most of you will be gone. And I asked, what do you consider to be the ideal producer that you would recruit? And they said a 26-year-old male, a college graduate that was in sports. And I said, but you have four female producers here that have a very nice book. That are very that are very good agents. You know why wouldn't you consider? And they just said that that was their their demographic for a good producer was that because they can train them from there and they're going to be competitive or whatever whatever. And I decided that that was not the agency for me. Under that new ownership, it was not for me. 
Yeah, I mean, who comes in and is like, you guys aren't going to be here a year from now? Like, that's just kind of a weird... How does that make you feel, right? Yeah, as, it's as kind a of a... female, as a minority, not in, in Hispanic uh, and my ethnic side, because of the 105 people there, let's say, let's say 60% were Hispanic, but that's mostly yeah. staff. That was right. most of the support staff. It was only four of us females that were producers, and three of us were Latin, and one was not. Mm-hmm. So as a female, we were all looked at each other because we were sitting relatively close. We looked at each other like, oh, my God, are we on the chopping block? Yeah. Right. Could it you was, imagine the lawsuit today? <laughs> so I chose I was the first one to leave and I left 14 years ago and became a partner at NCF Insurance. And four years ago, we sold to us. We were acquired by Accenture. And I have to tell you that their mentality is a little different. They believe in diversity and inclusion and and it's a different atmosphere. But I have to tell you that those first 24 years or so, it was difficult. It was difficult to be a lady producer. It was difficult to be the head of a department when you were 23 years old and Hispanic. It was difficult to be a teacher, an insurance instructor in the state of Florida where you go into a classroom of male producers and here you are at 30 years of age going in and being their instructor for them to get their CEs or for them to get their license or their designation. So it was a process, but how do you get around that is that you have to work twice as hard sometimes and you have to study really hard, get your designations and show them that you're an insurance professional just like they are. Not better because that'll just cause, but just like they are. Respect me the same way you respect your other, you know, uh, colleagues. Just respect me in the same level as you respect them. And that is to be earned, right? That respect is earned. Don't expect anybody to give you that respect. You have to earn that respect. And I think it took, you know, 30 years to, to, to gain that respect. But I will tell you what, if you're a female in this industry, you can go to many heights. Choose a path as a producer, as an underwriter, as a claims examiner, you know, as an actuary, you can do it. You can do it all. There's been many of us before you that have, you know, set the path. I mean, Sierra Gaviera is a great example of a great uh, woman insurance agent, insurance professional. Gabby Dominguez, past president of CPCU Society. There's so many that I can point out to you that are members of the Latin agent, not because of anything, but yeah. Um, but I have to tell you, there the paths are open. It's taken time, but the paths are open. And now it's a matter of, of finding people to come into our industry. It's not whether you're male or female anymore, or you're Hispanic or not. It's There is a huge shortage in our industry of people wanting to come into our industry. And we have a lot of people that are retiring or just leaving the, the industry because they've, they've had it. I mean, if, if I knew how to bake, maybe I you know, could do catering, you know, but this is what I know and this is what I love. And I, I have nowhere else to go but to stay in the insurance industry. So I think that you obviously would command the respect of literally any room that you would go into. Okay. I, we've had a great conversation. 
you know, you've probably forgotten more about insurance than I'll ever know. <laughs> you know, I'll just I'll just call it like it is. But, you know, in order to have the ability to get to to earn someone's respect, you first have to be given the opportunity. And to me, that's where the issue lies. It's not yes. about the fact that we have high, we don't have highly qualified female and um, eth minor ethnic minority people in our industry that could run circles around the old regime. It's the fact that they don't get the opportunity in the past. I'll, I'll take this back. In the past, they wouldn't even get the opportunity to do that. Now, what I perceive, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, is that it's not so much about them not getting the opportunity. Many of them are afraid to take it because they don't want to put themselves out there because they're scared to death that they're just going to get crushed. And yes. anybody who's ever had to do something like speak publicly or, or teach a course or anything like that, you know that you're really making yourself vulnerable just by showing up yes. and doing that. And so my thing is, and this is kind of what I want to spend the last couple of minutes talking about before we wrap up, you know, the LAIA is a very dynamic, energetic, and, and growing from what I can tell organization. And I think that having an organization like that, that's advocating and bringing awareness to things is creating more opportunities. My challenge to LAIA would be do the things you need to do with your membership so that they have the confidence to seize those opportunities when they come, whether that be continuing education or you know mentorship programs or things along those lines. Because I can tell you right now, if I was a, a Hispanic father of, of a Hispanic young lady, that wanted to go into the insurance industry, the first thing I'm doing is driving to your office and making an introduction so she can hang out with you for a little while and, and learn from you, right? But you know, talk a little bit about LAIA and and why why it's so important, you know, why they're such great advocates, because as great of an organization as it is, there are still Latin agents out there and agency principals out there that don't get involved and don't get engaged. And in my mind, quit crying about it if you're not going to try and help yourself. You're wanting people to help you and you're not helping yourself first. Understand that that's an extremely controversial thing for me to say. I can only speak from my own perspective and how I'm wired. But if I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly, I do have the backbone to stand up for myself, just like you do. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do, That's right. stack the deck in my favor. So there's only so much of this that we can blame on the establishment when there are mechanisms in place to help bring awareness, to help bring education and to help, you know, these people get the opportunity, seize them. And then when they do dominate their performance, that's how it's going to happen. And that's not Absolutely. something that happens in two weeks. That's going to take no. decades. You know, it, so, it, it took decades to get here. It's going to take decades to fix, but we yeah. can make incremental improvements on a daily basis. We just have to be willing to do it. Look, whether it's the, the Latin Agents Association, whether it's NIA, the National African Agents Association, or if it's the Insurance Women's Organization, they have all, it's diversity and inclusion. And one of the things that we have all learned to do is to mentor and help each other up. That there's... You can spend your dollars in membership, but if you don't get involved, if you don't participate, if you don't go, you have just wasted money. What the Latin agents make sure that we do is that we keep our members involved. How many past presidents of these other associations, and I don't care if it's PIA or Big I, or 
after they've done their presidency, do they stick around and stay on committees and stay and help the local chapters that they came from, even though they made it all the way to national? You know, you have to stay involved so that you help other people go forward. You know, you know, you've already walked those steps. Help them, bring them along, bring them up with you. And that is one thing that we do do quite a bit at the Latin Agents Association. As a matter of fact, we have a mentor-mentee program where our past board members actually sign up to mentor new agents, brand new people that have owned, maybe it's a new agent in an agency, or maybe it's a new agency owner, and to help them through all of the things that we've already learned. And that's, I think, very, it's a very valuable benefit. And they just need to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'd like to sign up for the mentorship program. And we'll be there to help out. And I think that that makes a difference. I absolutely think it does. I know this, I know that you're an outstanding role model and example to young and old agents. You don't have to be young. Anybody can learn from you with your experience and honestly, your drive, determination, and how you present yourself. How do they reach out to you? How do they get a hold of you if somebody wants to spend more time? You know, so if they want to reach out to me personally, they can send me an email to Dulce, D-U-L-C-E, dot Suarez, S-U-A-R-E-Z, Resnick, R-E-S-N-I-C-K, at Accentria.com. Or you could also go to the LAIA website, which is www.laia.com, and you can get in touch with me and other people on the different boards in Miami, in Broward County, in Atlanta, and in Houston, and soon to come in Dallas and in Denver. So we're here to help. Just pick up the phone or send us an email. Good deal. Good deal. Well, listen, everybody, this has been an awesome time talking with Dolce, you know, I love her and I don't even know her. I mean, I would hire you 10 times over Dolce and let you come in here and and teach me if nothing else. But I have a feeling you're a savage producer too, because most of the women that I know that are producers are absolutely deadly. They run circles around, (laughs) around me. And I mean, I'm married to one, not in the insurance industry, but my wife's that way. And so is Kyle's. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because a lot of the times you'll hear people you know, they always want to know what the home life's like. And I'm like, all I am, all I am is the face, man. My wife's the one that's really driving this process. But, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at this people. I want to challenge your, I want to challenge your thought process for a minute. I've seen several posts over the last few months where agents have had in, in agency principals have had some level of success in their agency. And they want to talk about that. And they want to talk about it on social media where they take pictures and they want to they want to feature their spouse. And I think all of that has great intent if your heart's really in the right place and you truly want to do that. The problem is when the messaging comes out. You know, we need to stop thinking is the way as we have traditionally, where you say behind every good man, there's a great woman. People, if you have ever opened a scratch agency, you know damn well your wife's not behind you. She's next to you, holding your hand every step of the way. And until we fix that perspective, we might as well not even try and do anything else. How are we going to give any other females a fair shake if our wife is always behind us when we talk about her publicly? Fix it, people. We need to have the right perspective. We need to get the messaging right and get it out there. Dolce, it's been awesome talking to you. Ciara Gravier is one of my absolute favorite people in the entire world. 
She is a really, really good friend. She's almost like a little sister to me at this point. So I'm happy to know that she is in an area with people like you that can help her get even better than what she is right now. She's probably going to need a recommendation on where to get her new business cards because they're going to have to be three by five instead of normal size to fit all of the designations on there (laughs) that she's gotten. But good grief. I mean, we are in a, we're in a position in this industry to really make big strides. And I just thank you for being willing to come on and spend an hour with us today to tell your story. It really means a lot to me. And I know that people are going to get a lot from this episode today. So thank you very much. Thank you to you, David and Kyle. It's been a great afternoon. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Our pleasure. Everybody reach out. If you are Hispanic or Latin in your heritage, you need to be part of LAIA. I know I have a lot of friends that are part of that organization. Ciara is one. Alexander DePazzo is another. I can go right down the line and list them. And these are people that you see that are forward facing and they're putting themselves out there. What does that mean to you? That means they can help you. If you want exposure, these people have it and they can help you get it. They can put you in the room that you need to be in, but you've got to take that first step and reach out and you take control of your own destiny. Don't sit back waiting for other people to do it for you. Everybody have a great week. We'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 